Hello there, my name is Jamie Moore and you are very welcome to On The Bench, the official podcast of the newly formed League Managers and Coaches Association of Ireland. We've almost a thousand followers now on Twitter after the account was set up in June. If you'd like to follow us or you don't, please do. It's at LMCA Ireland on Twitter. That's at LMCA Ireland. We've just under a thousand followers right now. And this podcast On The Bench is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and also on YouTube Just search On The Bench, League Managers and Coaches Association podcast or anything along those lines and you'll find it. The YouTube is in the bio of the Twitter page and if you just search Twitter as well, you'll find the links. We'll be tweeting them as we go along. The podcast is done in both video and audio only formats. Now in June, we spoke to Stephen Henderson, who's the interim chairperson of the LMCAI and that was our introductory episode. This is probably the real episode number one and over the next hour or so we're going to be joined by a manager from the League of Ireland Premier Division, the League of Ireland First Division and also the Women's National League. Neil Fenn of Cork City, Tim Clancy of Drawdy United and Graham Kelly of the DLR Waves are coming up and don't worry these are not very focused interviews on matches and for example Drogheda play on Sunday as do Cork in the league, the Women's National League starts the following weekend but we're talking more generally about coaching, the lads coaching careers so far being on the pro licence, achieving the pro licence, being a coach, being a manager and all that sort of stuff as well. So there's not too much chat about the actual games this weekend. So if you are listening after the weekend, don't worry. There's a lot of stuff in this that would be very relevant to you anyway. The reason for the League Managers and Coaches Association, as per our Twitter bio, is to represent and advise football managers and coaches at every level of the game. The website will be live soon and we have loads more information how people can join and different seminars and webinars and stuff that we're going to do and of course podcasts along the way so thanks for joining me we're going to get flowing now we'll start with neil fenn then go to tim clancy and we'll finish with graham kelly enjoy folks so our first guest on this week's on the bench podcast in association with the league managers and coaches association of ireland is the cork city manager and newly acquired UEFA pro license holder neil fenn fenny good evening how are you i'm good jeremy thanks thanks for having me on Thanks for coming on. Neil's just uh, back in Cork getting ready for the start of the restart, should I say, of the League of Ireland season on Sunday. And you're going to welcome Bohemians to an empty Turner's Cross. So how have the last few months been with the new normal of being a football manager? Yeah, obviously it's been it's been a bit strange. The, the start of the lockdown was was um, was obviously a bit a lot of uncertainty around it. And then once the lockdown happens, you know, you're kind of getting on with just life, accepting the fact that football's not going to be back for a couple of months. And then once you see the, the Premier League go back and Germany go back and everything else, you start getting itchy itchy feet again. And, and it was great to be back training. Even with all the restrictions and everything else at the start, it was just great to be back. How much have you had to change as a football manager in this time when there's so many restrictions and so many rules and stuff? It's not been too bad. I mean, the, the, the match days are obviously going to be different to, to our normal, our normal um, routine. But I think that for training, it's been, you know, with the... Did you, you see that? I didn't. Now someone ring you. Yeah. Um, with the weather, um, with the weather being the way it is at the moment, it's not too bad. So the having to having to use outside changing areas and, and stuff's not been too bad. I think if it was in the winter, it'd be a, a whole different ball game. But not having use of indoor hasn't impacted us too much. Um, but the, the match days will be a little bit different and travelling to away games and, and where to stay overnight and things like that is going to be a challenge for us. Yeah, and it's something that everybody just seems to have been able to just take under their stride. And since you were back training, the league and the restart has come quite quickly. So how do you feel the players are? And, and given the number of, the number of, of weeks they were off without team training before they're now starting the season and there's going to be lots of games over the next couple of months? 
yeah, I mean, they've, they've been fine. The fitness levels are good. But, I mean, we won't know really until the matches kick in and, and we start getting a few niggles. Obviously, we've played friendlies, but, you know, friendlies are friendlies. So, once the once the matches start, hopefully we can avoid any injuries like there was in, in, the, in the opening rounds of, of the games in Germany particularly. But, hopefully... We've, we've primed them up. The, the, the first, when we brought them back the first week, they, they barely did any any um, heavy work at all. It was all ball work. It was all just getting used to kicking and, and those movements again. So, obviously, we picked it up as it went on and we've played friendlies. But the real test will be how how fit they are is when they start playing competitive matches. How do you feel the games will be in terms of no crowds and how different will they be for you as the manager? And even simple things like all the players now will be able to hear you, which is a good thing. But they, at, at certain times, I'm sure, would want, for example, in Cork, the shed packed, roaring them on or turning across, which, which won't be happening for a little while anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it two ways. You look at it that they won't have the pressure of a crowd there so they can go just out, go out and express themselves and without the fear of, of making mistakes. But then on the other hand, you've got the... It's, it's always great to play in front of a packed turners cross and play in front of the shed. They, they certainly are, are our 12th man, so... Playing without that will be will be a challenge, but it could work both ways. Hopefully for us that we we create our own atmosphere, we create our own intensity, and and the players appreciate that it's, it's still a, a competitive game. It's a very important game for us, and um, they have to add that their own intensity and and, and aggression into the, into the game, even without a crowd. Have you ever been involved in a match behind closed doors before, either as a player or a manager? No, I had a very, a very. Um, when I was at Leighton Orient a few years ago, there was a, there was a demonstration. A long story, but a demonstration during one of the matches, and we still had a few minutes left to play. So once all the all the fans had gone, we we then played out the last few minutes of the game without without fans. But certainly not a whole ninety minute match. And um, now it'd be it'd be strange, but you know, just watching the the matches on Premier um, on the Premier League and and Germany, I've kind of got used to it now. The first of all, it seemed really strange, but. Sort of getting used to it now, just watching the Fulham match there. It's, it, it, you know, there's still a high tempo to it. There's still, there's still tackles flying in. So hopefully, um, it won't be too strange for the boys on on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sure you probably won't know until they're actually, you know, about to go out and play the game and in the tunnel. And when I was a kid years ago, I got to be a mascot for Celtic against Cork City in Turners Cross. And I remember being in the tunnel at the shed and the whole place was packed. And I was only a kid, but you could actually, you know, feel the noise of the people. And that's something that the players won't feel. Will that, for you, change your you know, last words for them in the dressing room and, and stuff like that? No, I, I don't think so. I think that when, when, when I was playing at Turners Cross, the, the change rooms were behind near the halfway line behind in that stand. But now they're, they're, they're under the shed. And sometimes it's quite difficult. And sometimes I don't need to motivate the boys before we go out because they can hear the crowd shouting and screaming and, and cheering them on. So that'll be a little bit different. I'll have to, I won't have that. Um, in the background, but also on another side, it'd be easier to get my message across because it is really quite loud and it's hard to it's hard to speak to them. But no, I think you know the, the message won't change. And professional footballers, they they treat or the, the good ones treat treat training training matches like real matches, and and um, they they they've, they manage to add that that will that want to win and, and want to compete. It's in them already, so it shouldn't be too difficult to motivate them. Yeah, and you're going to have be able to make five subs for the first time ever in the League of Ireland. I'm not sure if it's from seven or like in England that you're going to be allowed to have nine subs and you, of course, have an FAI Cup game against your old club Longford to factor in. And, you know, there's, I think St. Pat Stephen Donald was saying today they've got five games in 16 days. So will you have to be quite careful in, in managing the load of the players, given how many matches they're going to play and those extra couple of subs might be helpful at certain stages? Yeah, um, I, I think, I believe it's from seven, 
some seven subs. It will. It helps you if if you've got a big squad and, and a lot of a lot of players to choose from. Um, which we we we, we don't have a, a a big squad in depth or a big depth in our squad, so it won't be probably as beneficial to us as it possibly would be to the likes of Stevie and um, and the other clubs. But we you know if we're asking the boys to play of intensity and, and, and give it their all and give 100% for the first whatever hour, 70 minutes then, it's good that you can bring a few of them off. And like you say, they've been doing nothing really for, for four months, um, apart from a few friendlies now. So it will be it will be a strain on, on their bodies. So it's, it's, it is a good thing, I suppose, to have the five subs. Yeah, and in terms of match day itself and, and being the manager of the team, I know we're going to speak to Tim Clancy later in Drogheda. They've given the home and away change rooms to the away team in United Park and the home team are using the upstairs bar as their changing room. And I read the FAI guidelines in full yesterday and saying that the team talks by the managers have to be given on the pitch. And some clubs I see have done their video work via Zoom because they can't, aren't allowed to have the players in a room together. So for you, like on Sunday, how different will the whole thing be in turn? Are you both able to use the normal dressing rooms and will you have to give your team talk actually on the pitch? I don't think that's been decided yet. Obviously, we play Sunday. We're we're due to go to Turners Cross on on Saturday, but I think we'll find out. We'll, we'll work it out tomorrow where where um, where we're going to be. But you know, we we've been used to it now for the past for the past what's it been now six weeks. We've been back doing team talks and friendlies on the pitch, and the players have been training or changing outside. And when we could use the indoors that they were using, they were training in changing in gym because it's bigger and. And the away teams who came down to who came down to Bishopstown had home and away dressing room. So we've been doing it anyway. So it's just it's just an extension of that. We just have to make sure that it doesn't affect our preparations and, and we've got no excuses that everything's right. And you've also been able to add a couple of very astute senior signings to your squad in Graham Cummins. Centre back Graham Cummins, I think, even though you might play him up front and surprise everybody. And of course, uh, big Kevin O'Connor uh, back from Preston again. So I know you did you did speak previously about wanting experience in your group given the start of the season you had, and you've been able to sign the two boys, which I'm sure you're delighted about. Yeah, I mean, we at the start of the season we made a conscious decision that we were gonna that we were gonna go young, and and you know our our idea was that we would get better throughout the year as the boys gained more experience, and and we brought in a few loan players. Obviously, as that has now changed and we're in a, it's a different kind of um, league and it's, there's only 13 games remaining. We felt that the best thing for our squad, um, regardless of, of position wise or anything like that, was that we brought in some experienced players. Um, we only had probably the senior pros, Mark McNulty, Alan Bennett and, and Grove Morrissey were the only players we had over the age of 25 in the squad. So it was important to me that we, we got a little bit more of that. And when those two players became available, um, yeah, we acted quickly and we, we tried to sign them um, and they've been good additions. So in terms of the season now, and there's been so much debate in the, the lockdown about how many games there'd be, would there be relegation, would there be playoffs? And of course, when you were the Longford manager, you were someone who was chasing the playoffs and chasing promotion from the first division. So you're probably quite well placed to comment given now you're the Cork manager. What did you make of all of that? And now it is going to be two series, so 13 or 14 games left. If you finish 10th, you're down. If you finish 9th, you're in a playoff. Yeah, I felt it was. I felt it was drawn out. I felt. I felt frustrated. I felt that um, it, it was a way, a bit of a waste of time, really, asking every club what they thought. Every club was always going to go with, with what was best for their football club, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I know people have commented before saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't vote for what's best for your club. But everyone, everyone employed by a club is, it's in their, They have to, they have to vote for the best interest of their football club. So for us, we would have, we would have liked. To have less relegation places, we would have liked to have played more games. But 
probably you know we just have to there's nothing we can do about it we just have to get on with it and it was I'm just we were just frustrated that we didn't have a start date for the league we all knew, we all kind of knew it but we didn't really know it so when we were trying to bring our players back from England on loan they wouldn't let them come until we had an, a, a confirmed start date and then once they come they had to quarantine for two weeks so it it, it, it put us back with those players and it, it was that was a frustrating part of it but the actual the length of the league, you know, it is what it is now, and I see a lot of teams are strengthening. A lot of teams are, uh, I think, there's only 13 games left. We need to stay in the division. Yeah, and certainly, you know, I've heard a lot of different people talking about, you know, the race for the title, and it's it's only so many games, and Rovers are three ahead. But like, you're only four or five matches into the season. Yes, there is only 13 games left, and you guys have three points. But like, there's still by far enough games. And if you look at the teams ahead of you, Hearts and Derry are a point ahead of you, Waterford and Shells. And Pats and Fort are three points ahead of you. So, like, if you win a couple of games, you're starting to look upwards. But at the same time, I suppose, you're just anxious to try and get some points to make sure you're not towards that bottom spot come the last five or six when things could get nervy. Yeah, we're not looking at league tables. We're, our, our focus is just to gain as many points as we can. And like I said, like I, I keep saying, we had a very, very difficult start. So, tables can, even though they... By the end of the season, the table doesn't lie. Um, at the start of the season, especially after five games, tables can be misleading of where we're at. Um, I, I think that, you know, I've said it a million times, that going away to going away to Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk within three days with a young yeah. squad that we had was always going to be difficult. So you take those two games out of it. Um, the other three games we played were all 1-0, um, two 1-0 defeats and 1-1-0 one, and one, one win, which were all very close, could have gone either way. So... We're certainly not panicking about the league and we're certainly looking upwards rather than downwards. But it's important that we, we don't even look at the league table, forget about the about the league table at this stage and just try and get as many points as we can on the board. Neil, from your own point of view, just wanted to finally speak a little bit about yourself and your journey from when you started coaching, when you finished playing to started coaching to very recently completing your UEFA Pro Licence and massive congrats on that. I know a huge amount of work and towards the end, you had to do a lot of stuff on Zooms and video calls and stuff. Take us back to the start of your coaching journey and you have your path to pro company too. When did you first start to think that you wanted to become a coach and a manager? Um, I suppose when I was at, at Bose in 2009, was it? Um, coming to the end of your career or, or approaching my 30s and just thinking about the next step, what, what I'm going to do after. I never really saw myself as being a manager or anything like that, but I thought I'd better just get my coaching qualifications just in case um, I, I might need them. And then I went to Dundalk after that and and I kind of saw myself that would be my last season so stepped up the, the coaching I was doing and and just wanted to just wanted to be my own boss for a little bit I suppose just wanted to do my own thing for a while so started up a, a couple of coaching companies run those for for a few years and at one stage Darius Kearns was a was at Drogheda at the time brought me in to be his assistant there when he was when he was at Drogheda and I enjoyed that. And then Damien Richardson came in because of Darius didn't have to pro for the 90 day rule. And I came in and I enjoyed it, but it didn't, it didn't really give me the bug for it. I was happy enough doing my own thing, being my own boss of the coaching company of Path to Pro. And then a friend of mine got the, the um, Leighton Orient manager's job for towards the end of the season for the, in 2017. And I went there as his assistant and loved every minute of it. Full-time football, just pitting our wits against some some really good teams and we had such a young squad that you know a little bit like a cork where every, you know a lot of things were going against us um, but we had you know we got some great results there and when I came back from that I applied for the I thought I want to be a manager now or at least a coach and I applied for the, the, the Longford job 
And um, I've never been for an interview, any type of interview before in my life. So I thought even if I didn't get the job, um, I, at least I have an interview. At least I know what it's all about. But luckily for me, I, I went for a couple of interview rounds and, and got the job full time. So really enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed it there. Yeah, and we'll talk through Longford and your role in Cork in a moment. But in terms of the path through the coaching badges, did you start on the UEFA B or the UEFA A? And again, how would you describe that, that pathway through the, the coach education ladder? Started on the the B, uh, yes, yeah, so I did the B in 2000, and I think it was 2009, and then the A a couple of years later, a few years later, and then um, it was a case of did I want to did I want to do the pro at the time? It was it, no, the A the A was was qualified me enough for what I wanted to do anyway, and it was only then when I when I decided that I wanted to be a manager or a coach, and then got the Cork City job that you need you have to have your pro that. That I went, that I went and got the pro. But now I thought the A was, you know, you learn, you, you learn so much on the coaching badges. Even though I was coaching all the time, you just learn so much. And um, I, I'd highly recommend them for anybody who wants to get into coaching. That, and, the, and the boys on the the um, the coach education department in the FEI are, are brilliant. And and so they must be brilliant if they help me get through them anyway. So, <laughs> no, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll be talking to Tim and also to Graham Kelly, the, the dealer ways manager later on, who are both just actually starting on the pro as well. Yeah. So be interested to hear, hear how they're getting on. For you, the pro itself and, and like the amount of work that goes into it, I'm sure is huge. And it's a qualification that you do need. And you mentioned even when you went in to draw the Darius Kieran could continue as a manager because he didn't have the pro. And, you know, there's lots of stories of, of different managers who, who haven't got jobs or who haven't been able to stay in jobs because they haven't had that qualification. So you have it now. How hard was it to achieve? Yeah, it was it was it was very difficult. I mean, the the workload is is manageable if you put if you set yourself a few hours of the day or the month to do it. I'm I'm terrible at planning my days out, so um, I found that part of it the most difficult was getting time or setting time aside to actually sit down and do it, do the coursework. But the work on the on the blocks, the contact blocks, are brilliant and. They're long hours, just like the A license. I'm sure the boys will tell you that the A license of, you know, the hours are really long. The pro license is no different. Really long, really long hours. But the the club visits I found particularly beneficial. We went to a we went to a club in Belgium called um, Royal Union, and it was just brilliant. I just it was an eye opener to me. A similar size club um, to Cork City in terms of crowds and and size of the club, but just just the facilities they have there compared to compared to what we've got were, were were unbelievable so it was a real eye open i went to middlesbrough as well which is obviously the other end of the scale but um no really enjoyed it really enjoyed the club visits really enjoyed the, the contact blocks the coursework is is difficult but as long as you keep as long as you set your time and and you dedicate a few hours to do it then then you'll be fine but that that's obviously i changed jobs halfway through it as well which didn't help went from being part-time to being full-time manager so that 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 was I found that quite difficult to cope with as well but now all in all really enjoyed it and, and recommend it to anybody yeah for any people watching or listening who are coaches and I've done the UEFA A and I've also done the UEFA Youth Elite A haven't done the pro yet I, I have ambition to do it how different is the pro license to the A and the B and stuff because they're very focused on coaching this is very focused on management and there's so many different aspects to it that a, a coach would never have to think about. And I'm sure even when you were an assistant, you never had to think about some of the stuff that the manager in Nathan Orient or the manager in Drada was doing. And the course certainly helps you to try and deal with all of those aspects, contracts and media and dealing with the board and all those type of things. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 to be honest, there's not, I didn't find a whole lot of difference between the A and the, and the Pro in terms of content 
um, there was it was it was still very coach orientated, which was which was a good thing as well. It wasn't all about um, managing. You, you do touch on managing a little bit. The problem I find with trying to put on a course to be a manager is how do you put that course on? How do you how do you deal with that? I mean, there'd be unbelievable amounts of role playing going on it. It'd just be a little bit. I'm not sure how you do. It. I did say that to to Nyla Regan there that possibly could be a little bit more on the course about managing. He said, "What would that? What would that be?" And I had no idea. It's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to to replicate the life of a manager. Certainly, teach someone how to do it. I find the best the best way I found about it is just being in there and just doing it. But um, no, certainly the, the coaching content on it is 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 excellent. And um, some of the guest speakers that come in a, a different class. And you do have Des Curran came in from Air Sport and we did a mock interview and stuff like that, which is great. Um, a Bristol Rovers chairman came in. And, and told us what he would look for in the interview process and the types of questions he would ask on an, on an interview process. And to be honest, they were the same similar questions to what I was get, I got asked at Longford. So it would prepare, it would prepare people for for um, the interview process, which was excellent. So yeah, that, I suppose that was the main difference between the, the pro and the A is that you do have a little bit more of that, but coaching content's quite similar. Neil, last three questions because it's nearly bedtime. Um, your typical week as a League of Ireland manager, virus aside, if there's no virus and when the virus touch wood is gone or before the virus was here, just give us an insight into your week, your hours, the type of people you have to deal with, the type of phone calls, emails, meetings, everything. <laughs> um, well, I don't have my family down in Cork at the moment, so most of my time is spent at the training ground. So I'll get to the training ground around eight o'clock in the morning. The players, the, the injured players arrive at nine um the the players then arrive at 10 they'll either do we'll either do a little bit of, before the break the lockdown we would do a little bit of video maybe um and then we would do the players are out on the pitch for or in the gym first of all or in the pitch for half 10 finished uh, at 12 and then in the gym for one o'clock till two o'clock then i would stay at the training ground watching videos or uh, in, in pre-season and particularly now watching videos of players or potential targets or, or things like that and answering calls from agents and everything most of the time at the moment nearly all day um and then head home after that and that's that's monday tuesday in a, in a typical week monday tuesday thursday game friday recovery saturday off sunday and your phone non-stop emails whatsapps phone calls from chairman managing director media persons assistant manager players agents everybody yeah everybody i mean i've got a you know a great assistant manager in Joe that will that will take calls from the players and he'll know what ones I need to listen to and what I, I don't need to deal with. So he deals with a lot. I've got a fantastic secretary, a secretary called Aina, who is my go-to man for going up. So if I, I need to speak to any of the board, then I'll go for Aina first and he normally, he can bat it away straight away or if it needs to be dealt with the board. So he's great in that regard. And we've got a nice small staff at the club. We've got myself, Alan Bennett is the, a coach, Joe Gamble's the assistant manager, and he doubles up as a strength and conditioning coach. And Mark Minolte is a player, goalkeeper coach. So a nice tight group. We've got a, a lad called Josh who does our video analysis. So a real, a real tight group and a, a small staff, but a really good, a good staff. So we have a, a good laugh at, at the um, at training ground most of the time. Yeah, interesting. You said there that your assistant manager takes some phone calls from players as kind of a middleman and 
at times football players ask questions that maybe the manager doesn't doesn't necessarily need to deal with. So you might tell us about managing your staff and you've spoken about Alan Bennett and Mark McDulty and Joe Gamble and maybe an SNC coach and a video analysis person and then your links with Aina Buckley and stuff upstairs. But how do you manage your football staff? Um they don't really they know what it's about really. They're they're not too bad. They're 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 football people, they've been around the game for years. Um so they, they don't take too much managing to be honest. They know they know what they they can come to me with, as, and, and they know that I will. I'm pretty easy on them if they just if they're doing their job right, and there's there's been no problems with that. They all get on with their job, and they all manage their own departments fine. So there's been no problem. I don't really need to manage that, which is a big relief for me. Um, the physio department, all as our physio, she she's very good. She 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 runs that, so she's excellent at that. And and like you say, with Aina running everything above me, it's it's. I'm not saying it's an easy job, but it's easier when you're when you're not having to manage in every aspect of your staff as well. Don't get me wrong, we're we're in the we, we talk about everything. We're in the office quite a lot at the, at the training ground, so I know what's going on. It's just I'm happy that if if I don't need to know about it, that they will deal with it. Yeah, lastly, style of play and how important that is to you. And I remember a few years ago, and you're the manager of Longford. Uh, Mick Kelly was the keeper and you drew a game in the last minute I think it could have been against Finn Harps you might remember better than me and Mick and the defenders just lost the ball playing out in, in the last couple of minutes and fans were going mad and the players were going mad but the players wanted to play a pass and brand and you've always been like that you're like that as a player you're like that as a manager your core team I haven't seen a huge amount of live but I'm sure if, if, if possible you wanted to play that style what's the balance of that between risk and reward and you know trying to play out and trying to play nice football but not risking the ball and, and particularly in this situation you're in now you probably need to ensure that your team aren't taking too many risks or do you still want them to um, we, we've kind of gone for a strategy of, of um, more more or less risk over over reward at the moment I think that for us um, the results are the, are the utmost important at the moment. Um, and that we need to make sure that we're 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 solid. I think that if I suppose if I look back at the games we played, we probably we probably had too much possession in our own half and didn't get the ball forward enough early enough to create too many chances. So that was something we wanted to try and fix. Um, don't get me wrong, we still play if it's on, but I think that our, our important now is that we that we put the ball into the opposition box more often. Um, but you know we still want players to express themselves. We still want players to be to be personalities. And the players we've got, it's hard to change. Even though the league has changed, and it's cut down to 13 games, and uh, and we've still got the players we've got. So we can't change the players we've got. So we have to play to their strengths. And, and most of our players we signed at the start of the season is because they are technically good players. So we can't deviate too much away from that. Otherwise, it would be it would be a, a wrong decision, I think. And yeah, lastly, we're on the League Managers and Coaches Association podcast, so it's something that people in Ireland have wanted for a long time. And Stephen Henderson has spearheaded it along with a lot of other people and, and plans to, to really get this up and running in the next little while. We've had nearly a thousand followers on Twitter in a couple of months. We've launched our new podcast and YouTube channel. And it is something that's needed in this country to have a voice for people working in football, whether they be a coach, manager, physio, doctor, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's, it's brilliant. I, I, you hear people all the time saying that football's not really an industry in this country. And part of that is that there's no... There's no togetherness with the managers and the coaches and, and everyone else. And even though you hear it all the time, football people and football family, it's good to have an umbrella that we can all come under um, and all and bounce ideas off each other and, and, and share our problems. So it's a, it's a great initiative from Stephen and I'm, you know it's brilliant. I'm glad to be a part of it. 
Yeah, the Twitter page for those who want to follow us at LMCA Ireland and it's the League Managers and Coaches Association of Ireland on YouTube. The podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor or wherever else you happen to get your podcast. It's called On The Bench. Creative name by me, I think. Neil Fenn, thanks a million for coming on. Enjoy the game on Sunday and the rest of the season and we'll speak to you again soon. No worries, Jamie. Thank you. So you're watching and listening to On The Bench, the official podcast of the League Managers and Coaches Association of Ireland and I'm very happy to be joined by Drodd United Manager Tim Clancy. Tim, good afternoon. How are you? All right, Jay, how are you? Pie, good? I'm not too bad, thanks yourself. Ah, not too bad. Just getting ready to get back into the season now, so looking forward to it. Yeah, what type of words would you use to describe how yourself and the lads of Drodder are feeling ahead of the big restart again on Sunday against Shamrock Rovers too? Ah, uh, eager would probably the, would be the main um, word to describe uh, how everyone's feeling. It's been a long, long lockdown and we've had uh, four or five really good weeks of training there, so um, a couple of good games in there as well and um, just really looking forward to getting started again now. How did you find being a League of Ireland manager during lockdown and everything that went with that from trying to deal with your players about their wages to the Zoom calls to wondering when the season would start and trying to keep the players in, in some shape for getting back on the pitch? Um, listen, to be honest with you, the hardest job uh, I had was uh, probably getting the right information to the players because it was up in the air for so long and we didn't know when it was going to come back and didn't know what time it was back at. And initially it was two weeks and then I went to six weeks and then we were talking about June 19th and then that got extended and um, it's probably not given given too much uh, misinformation to the players and again if it had been a June restart we would have given them a lot more to do and uh, in May and whatever else but because it was so long um, because it was so long we uh, we sort of didn't really put too much um, structures in place and much of a program to follow and in fairness to the lads uh, they've come back absolutely flying anyway. And they'll be back on the pitch for probably five weeks at this stage. So how has that gone? And again, you know, what type of, of stuff were you trying to work with the players on to make sure that they were both physically ready and clearly, you know, ready to, to face the opposition from a tactical point of view? Yeah, listen, we've we've uh, we're limited to what, what we can do in regards to um, time we have with the players each week. And uh, obviously, one of the the biggest things that affected us was. Um, Across the board at the club, we have to take a 20% pay cut, so um, we've cut down one day a week training as well to accommodate um, the players as well. Um, it allows them to maybe not get time off work for one of the days and also saves them travelling to Drada for, for the extra day. So um, we're being limited with what we can do on the pitch. Um, but again, it's just getting the balance right of obviously the physical side of things and getting the fitness levels up, but you also don't want to neglect um, the tactical side of things and obviously the touch of a ball and getting the getting the, the feel back for that as well so that's been the balancing act and I think we've, we've done all right so far and in the games that we have played we've, we've looked quite good so I'm really happy where the lads are at. Yeah I think we had a good chat down in Longford in, at a game maybe 18 months ago and, and you were speaking about you know the amount of time you had with your players and that you didn't want them standing around listening to you for 40 minutes doing you know shape or tactics when you might only have two or three nights in the week to get their football work in too. You might tell me more about that and the balance of, of them being part-time footballers, but you're you're trying to get them as much kind of football into them as opposed to them standing there listening to you, telling them where to be on the pitch and stuff. Yeah, well, that's it. It's, uh, it's listen, uh, not no disrespect to draw or Atten or any of the players playing at this level, but they're not going to uh, live off the money that they've, they're making playing part-time football. So in Division, uh, Division 1 League of Ireland, so... Uh, there has to be an enjoyment factor as well. Um, the lads, majority, if not all of them, work during the day. And 
what else they're studying or they're in college. So uh, it's, it's getting the balance right that they're going to turn up three days a week, um, four with a game, um, coming and being engaged and being enthusiastic. And I feel that if you're going to be sitting there uh, or standing in the middle of the pitch, listening to a coach talking and doing shave constantly and doing a lot of slow uh, tactical stuff, uh, I think the players will disengage and um, that'll be counterproductive to what you actually want to do. So it's the balancing act that myself and Kev have been doing where um, we try and make it as, as much fun as possible and enjoyable uh, levels to be high and uh, get the message across within that that uh, we want to get across. Yeah, because it seems watching your team and I've seen a good few draw the games in the last couple of years and uh, I was at one of the preseason games as well this year, like that the players do understand their roles on whether it be set pieces or with the ball, without the ball and stuff. How do you get that across to them if you're trying if you're trying not to do it too much on the training pitch, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, listen, we do. We touch on things on the training pitch and we speak to players individually as, as sessions go on and um, we will do, we will do shape and uh, we'll stop sessions if we're doing 11 v 11 or whatever else and we, we, we put our points across there and then. Um, yeah, also, listen, we have the we have the continuity within the squad that we've had for maybe two and a half years now. It's our third season and there's a good chunk of the, the squad there that have been with us uh, from the very start and um, they sort of lead it as well and they'll also give information to the newer players that where they need them on the pitch in relation to their position and um, collectively as a team as well. So it sort of leads itself, but um, we do tweak it and we do um, we do do tactical stuff and we'll uh, we, we throw it in and in, in during the sessions as opposed to making it the sole purpose of the session. Now, I know this week your game is on a Sunday, so it's probably not the ideal week to give an example of, but interested, spoke to Neil Fenn earlier on and he was telling me about a week for Cork City, for him as the manager, being a full-time manager with full-time players. You have part-time players, but you're still probably training nearly as much time on the pitch as maybe a full-time team, but people are coming from work, including yourself. You might just explain to us how, how a part-time week, in inverted commas, works for Drawdy United and how you manage that. Yeah, well, uh, we played on Saturday morning against Giles, so um, this week we went, uh, what was it, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and we played Sunday. So we gave them the extra day off this weekend. Um, well, we would have had it just tweaked us, pushed it forward, because if we play on a Friday night, we'd normally um, come in on the Monday anyway. So, yeah, listen, again, we get we get up to the stadium in around um, five o'clock, half five uh, to start at the quarter to six, and... We'll probably be there until half seven, um, and then after that, listen, we we will we'll we'll go off and we'll we'll do in a day off a day in a day off a day. So, um, yeah, listen, it's it's not ideal, um, but the players that we have, they've really bought into it, and um, if you look at them, the the shape that they're in and physical conditioning. We played against Dundalk, we played against Dundalk quite a lot in uh, friendly games because of lo- uh, the locality of the two clubs and. And we played them in bounce games, and I felt this time around, um, physically, fitness-wise, listen, that's the benchmark. And themselves and Shamrock Rovers, I think, are still a good bit ahead of everyone else in the country. And uh, I thought that physically, in, in fitness-wise, covering the ground, but also in the collisions where uh, 50-50 balls bouncing around and body collisions, I thought that we felt, um, so I felt we looked a lot more competitive, should we say, than we have in previous times. So um, fitness levels of the, of the players. It's been really good, and that's that's to be honest with you, that's mostly player driven as well. Um, we obviously emphasise what we want, and we do bits and pieces, but it's the recruitment that we have looked at really uh, a lot since I've taken the uh, taken the job two and a half years ago, and 
Um, it's to sign the right individuals and the players that will look after themselves and they want to be footballers and want to progress and want to go on and probably have a get into full-time football themselves and um, that certainly benefits myself. And just on that and being a manager of individuals and being the manager then of the collective and again there might be different times where you know the players have jobs and they could be under pressure from their boss or there might be a situation where they're either late or, or they at some stage maybe they can't make a session but they have taken a half day the previous Friday to go down to Cove or I know the Cove playing a Saturday but they, to go to Galway or somewhere so from that sense and you're not long finished playing yourself how do you deal with all of that and, and trying to make sure that they're not taking the piss but at the same time if there is a genuine reason for something that they can be excused or, or allowed to be late or whatever No 100% um Listen, we're, we're well aware that uh, people's main income and their long-term probably uh, stability financially is elsewhere, so uh, we have to accommodate that. There's other lads that are studying, they're in college, and if it comes around exam time, and um, we did it with Connor Kane there in last January, most Januarys we're going to be doing exams, um, we just give him a couple of weeks off, uh, that's more important to him than his football at the minute, and there's no point in him staying up till 2, 3 in the morning trying to cram studying in, uh, as well as training with us, and playing college football as well so we'll accommodate them um, uh, especially with their education that's something that I feel is very important in regards to uh, younger players in this country that they need an education and uh, not every kid's going to have a career in football and even the ones that do get a career they're going to need an education afterwards anyway so um, we have to accommodate that and obviously listen if, if lads are taking time off work to get training or might, might be skimming half an hour an hour off their day to get training or uh, certainly taking half days on Fridays we match day on a Friday uh, we have to accommodate them then when when uh, they need to work and not able to train. So it's part and parcel of it. Uh, and again, as I said there, it's the recruitment. It's the it's the type of player you sign, the type of person you sign. And um, listen, I, I trust all my players, and there's no problem at all. I know one of the new lads actually. Uh, he said to Kev, uh, "Listen, I need time off. I have such and such to do." And uh, he started trying to get notes and all. And Kev goes, "You don't need to like we we trust the players and." Uh, maybe that's what that did a previous work or previous jobs um, or clubs should I say uh, but no there's, there's a trust uh, there's a trust thing there between myself and the players and Kevin um, it's a balancing act it is a balancing act of, of, of le- allowing them to get time off because we know they're certainly getting time off from their work as well to, to come and play with us and do you find there that that actually works in your favour maybe on a Friday night if you know there's something that's late in the game and, and- I know the players all try their best and give effort anyway, but if you've been understanding and accommodating to them in certain scenarios, they'll give it back to you kind of tenfold. Listen, you'd expect that anyway uh, to give their all, but again, it's just people skills, Jamie. It's managing people. Um, to be certain players that might need something else, and uh, it's, it is what it is. Like it's, it's we're all fucking, we're humans anyway, so um, there's not a lot you can really do uh, in regards to. Um, you can ask for, ask for players to do their best for you, but if if you are accommodating and you're you go out your way to sort of help them, I'm sure they can feel the effects of that and they understand it. And uh, I suppose they won't give any more, but they'll probably be more understanding themselves then if, if they're asked to do, do something else as well. It's something that's becoming quite common in sport in general now is that the manager is the manager, but his assistant manager is someone who has managed before and is also, you know, at a very high level in terms of qualifications and experience. And yourself and Kevin Doherty are a very good example at Drada. You see it at Leinster with, you know, Stuart Lancaster and Leo Cullen. You see it, you know, in some of the GA teams now and clearly with other League of Ireland teams, the likes of Bohemians with Trevor Crawley and Keith Long and others. 
you might explain how you find that works and when you did get the job you made a decision to bring in effectively another manager or someone who'd managed before to be your assistant yeah again um i get massive benefits for having kev there and um he'd a lot of experience in regards to coaching and management uh, when he came in and that helped me massively and we've worked really well as a team for the last two and a half years and um, I think the, the biggest thing is trust. Um, the big man, I talked to him more than probably I talked to anyone else on the phone so uh, we're on the phone constantly three, four, five times a day and we'd be at training for two hours and then for the 45 minute journey home we're on the phone again the whole way home so that's every every training session. Um, yeah, listen, it, it works, it's good. Um, also, there's been situations where I have not been maybe beyond the bench because of suspensions or, uh, for instance, I couldn't make the friendly game against Charles on Saturday. I had a me child's communion. So it's sort of just, there's no there's no issues there. Then you're sort of happy. There's, you know that uh, there's a competent person there that's uh, very good in regards to the coaching side of things, but also from a manager's uh, perspective, he has that experience as well. And um, it's, it just works really well. I, I find it, it it's... It's a good role, and um, when I seek Dan Kev's uh, opinion on stuff, I know that he's coming from obviously a coaching side of things, but also he might see something differently from a managerial point of view that I mightn't have looked at, and it just gives you more a more balanced um, uh, outlook on on every situation, and uh, I think it's worked really well, and um, I think it will do as well going forward. And how do you actually split the roles of manager and assistant manager between the two of you in terms of like taking the sessions and dealing with the board? And I know you would do quite a lot of the media stuff. And I think from experience, maybe Kev can help with, with, with other aspects of stuff that he's experiencing, like contracts. And if you're working nights, for example, and he's a postman and he's up in the morning, you're not. If there's a call to be made or a player needs something, they know they might go to him instead of you or vice versa. Yeah, listen, uh, we get that we had it this morning. Actually, the club were on to, on to us about something and... They'd contact Kev because they know that uh, I work nights, so I'm probably out of the picture from 7 in the morning until probably about 1 or 2 in the day. So, uh, yeah, they got to Kev, and then Kev will obviously speak to them, but uh, he'll say to me, as soon as I get up, he'll ring me, or he'll say, contact me, and then I'll ring me, give me a lowdown of what's happening, and then I'll speak to uh, whoever it is at the club. Um, as in regards to the football side of things as well, uh, I, I do feel, and I've said that from the very start, that I've played under managers that do all the coaching, do all the team talks, do all the shooting drills, do all the crossing and finish and do everything. And I think players do switch off and they might get fed up with the same voice all the time. So um, Kev will take a lot of sessions uh, in regards to the individual parts of the session. Um, we speak about it as well. We, t- we discuss exactly what we're going to do and um, he'll probably lead a lot of them. And then when I jump in, um, I like to jump in in the middle of things and make me point. And uh, I think a lot of tactical stuff as well in regards to shape of uh, of the opposition or where we can hurt teams uh, come the weekend and where we might be vulnerable. I think that needs to be led by the manager um, just so there's no grey area. It's black or white. Uh, every player, as you said, no, they have to know the role. They have to identify what they, we have to identify for them what the role is in possession, out of possession. And I think that needs to be led by the manager. Um, it gives a player a, an out that if I say something to him in the dressing room, then on a match day and he says, well, that's the information that I got from, Kev during the week it sort of leaves a grey area so I lead a lot of the tactical stuff and the um, preparation for the opposition and Kev will lead a lot of the other sessions as well with, with, with the support of myself and then vice versa when I'm doing the tactical stuff Kev will also be backing me up as well. So for people watching and listening before Friday night there's four first division games 
back in action on Friday. It's at Lone against Wexford, Bray against Cove again. I'll be at Galway against Cabo and UCD Longford. And then on Sunday, I'll be in Tallis Stadium at three o'clock for Shamrock Rovers 2 against Drogheda. Now, this podcast is more general, so we're not going too in-depth into the games, Tim. But you're off to Tala and it's so early in the season. Like, it's two, three games in for the first division teams because the season started a week later than the Premier. There's been the whole debate about playoffs and relegation. And I know you're very happy that the playoffs are still there. And it's all systems go for a big tight race now. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... Probably a, don't be disrespectful to the clubs in the last few years, but uh, I think Wexford and Athlone are um, probably a lot more competitive this year than they have been. Um, they're a lot fitter anyway. Uh, I've seen Wexford in pre-season. Um, if you look at the results that they've been getting in the in the uh, games leading up to the lockdown uh, finishing here, so uh, I think it'll be a lot more competitive this season. And if a team can get consistency going uh, for the for the whole lot of the the 15-odd remaining games, um, that'll be the key, I think, because I think points will be dropped all over the place. And uh, I think there's probably no standout team that will be uh, favourites to go and go and win the league, So, um, which we've probably had in the last couple of years. Um, you had a very good UCD team a couple of years ago when I first took the job. And then you had a very strong Shelburne team last year as well. Um, I think before the two years before that was Limerick and Waterford as well. I think everybody expected to win the league. Um, so I think this year is probably a little bit different. Um, it'll be a lot more competitive and um, there'll be a lot of twists and turns between now and the end of October, surely. Tell me about the importance of the playoffs staying for all the first division clubs. I just think it's the logical thing to do. I know there was a, a couple of clubs on from the Premier Division saying it wasn't fair that the season was cut in half and uh, means double the or sorry, half the games, half the relegation places, but I didn't hear them saying half the games, half the European places either. So um, we've also got uh, goals from the start of the season and object, uh, objectives to reach. And obviously winning the league title is what every team in the first division wants, but it also has the the backdrop of the playoffs then to fall back on and it keeps the league competitive. If there had been a team that had gone and won first 12, 13 games, it would have just killed the whole season. Um, and I think it would have been the same in the Premier Division if a team had a loss maybe um, or picked up very few points in the first 10 games I think that there'll be a lot of dead rubbers in that league as well then in regards to um, uh, one team being adrift at the bottom so uh, yeah I think it's the, the fairest thing to do was just status quo keep it the way it was and um, I think no team in the country's benefits from it and no team uh, certainly um, is just harshly treated by it either and I think the other option I know that the Premier Division clubs were looking at was uh, trying to go back to uh, reload 18 game season, start from scratch. But I think every team in the Premier Division could get a better outcome in regards to points tally bar Shamrock Rovers. So that's them at a disadvantage. Um, so I think that wouldn't be fair either. Um, so I think that the, the right decision was made to just stay the way it is. And I think that's the fairest way to do it. How have you found being a manager during the virus since the team have been back and there was a very funny picture from one of the friendly games of James Brown nearly slipping down the stairs, nearly knocking you down from your new dressing room, which is the, the function room above the dressing room of the United Park because the away team are getting both of the small dressing rooms and you guys are upstairs. And that's just one example of how different everything around the game and training is. But then when the games and training are on, it's it's the same. Yeah, the football side of things, as soon as you get onto the pitch, is very similar. It's the same. Um the, yeah, we've had to tweak it and we used the um, function room upstairs. And again, it's not too bad because we have to get everyone socially distanced and all under the one room so you can speak to them. It's a bit further, obviously a bigger room, but uh, at least we're all in the same room as opposed to 
having separate players, not being able to do team talks uh, with your whole squad together. Um, I don't think the viruses aren't got to do with Jimmy falling down the stairs. <laughs> Jimmy's got that in the locker anyway, but uh, no, again, there is, there's different little protocols and making sure everyone's temperature's taken and um, the COVID guys making sure everything's washed down and uh, probably makes, makes the bibs get washed every session where the lads probably would have been complaining anyway if it had been a wet day and it weren't washed for the next day, so yeah, the benefits of it as well, but no, listen, it is, you have to, you have to adjust to the uh the way it is and um, we're certainly happy with uh the structures the club have put in place and everyone feels safe and just ready now to crack on and uh concentrate on football again yeah and you're on sunday at the best stadium in the country from a league of ireland context in my opinion certainly so it's probably a good place to start with i think the change rooms there as far as i'm aware from friendlies are big enough for the whole team to be in and um Again, it's it's possible that you might have been, in, even in your own place with the small dressing rooms, it possibly could have been somewhere else. So to be in Tala for a first away game with the, the new protocols is, is probably a, a bit of a blessing. Yeah, I think uh, we played there last year, obviously, in the in the FBI Cup. And um, being in the first division, the lads wouldn't get an opportunity to play there a lot. So I think there's a little bit of a buzz there when the first game back after... Four or five months lockdown, um, you're in, as you said there, the best the best place to play football in the country. The pitch will be immaculate. Um, it's a really good stadium. And I think when they get the stand on behind the the square side, uh, it'll be it'll be a fantastic uh, arena for the for the country. And if we could get another two or three of them scattered around the country, it would certainly give us a, um, a lot better infrastructure to have a to bring the league forward. And um, it's certainly something that every every club should strive towards. And if that is working with the government and councils and other sporting organisations to try and get uh, venues like that, uh, it would certainly benefit us. But I suppose our lads will be looking forward to it, knowing that it's a good pitch and um, also be playing against a very good team that play really good football. And um, I'm looking forward to a really good game on Sunday. Tim, last couple of questions. I know you're going to be gone by a quarter past. Um, your path to becoming a manager and when you finished playing and you started coaching and, you know, you got the job at Drada this year, third season, as you mentioned. You might just outline your path from maybe when you first started to, to want to coach to the coaching badges to eventually becoming a manager. Yeah, it was, um, listen, I always wanted to do me coaching badges and I suppose like a lot of players, you put it off half loads of time of loads of time and um, I actually enrolled on the B licence, I think uh, when I was still in Scotland uh, to do it when I came back for the summer and um, I happened to rupture my Achilles tendon a week before it happened so I got put back um I was doing it, the intensive course over, I think it was 10 days. Uh, I'm not sure how to do that anymore, but I was back in 2014, I think, or whatever it was. And um, I ruptured my Achilles week before it happened, so then I went on to the next block, and it was a little bit slower. And then I had it in my mind then when I returned to the League of Ireland, that was uh, a time period to try and um, ready myself for a smooth transition from playing, going into coaching or management. And uh, obviously then I'd done my A licence over in Scotland, uh, which was good, and I got that finished when I was still playing at Bray, and then uh, when I came uh, to the end of that season, the season finished, and I got a phone call, we'll be interested in speaking to Drogheda, I was delighted to to get the opportunity, and since then, then it's been a it's been a constant learning curve for the for the past two and a half years, and um, I'm obviously delighted now to be able to do pro license with the FEI, and I'm looking forward to two years of uh, education as well, and um, development and improvement in, in regards to uh, myself, and uh, my career going forward hopefully and like us and like everybody in the last few months we're on a video call now your UEFA Pro license has started via Microsoft Teams and video calls too which 
is interesting because normally you'd have all the 20 lads on the course in the, in the same hotel function room and you'd be physically there so that's been a little bit different yeah it has been but it is what it is uh it's still the same information you're getting and um the i think the a lot of assignments we're doing at the minute is uh probably just finding out where we are and what strengths we have and um what areas we need to improve on the most and um i think that's what these uh assignments are all about and obviously getting them handed in and it's keeping us busy we've got a few now one handed in the end of this month and then one for november and then there's the first contact block in november so hopefully that can go ahead and um, it's just exciting with the with the pro license and you know the next year there'll be club visits and whatever else and it's just something that to, to look forward to and um, it sort of probably takes a little bit of attention away from the uh, week-to-week uh, structure of needing a result on a Friday night and it's obviously something different but it's uh, it's going to be enjoyable hopefully. Yeah very good if people are watching or listening and they don't follow the Twitter page it's at LMCA Ireland on Twitter and there's also a YouTube channel there's a Spotify channel and Apple podcast where our on the bench podcast will be we're at 931 followers as I speak so we're trying to get out to a thousand as soon as possible so if you don't follow us give us an L follow and Tim lastly I just wanted to ask you about the introduction of the LMCAI and um, the word industry is used by most football people that for a lot of football people there isn't an industry here at the moment you for example have to work nights to because you have a kids and a wife and a mortgage you have to work nights in a, in a job away from football because football doesn't pay enough for you just to be a football manager at the moment um so this association will hopefully help bring things on for all of us involved and and eventually with discussions with the fai and stuff that there might actually be more of an industry for more people to work in football full-time in this country yeah i think that uh it is it's 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 a uh, it's going to be a long process to try and build up um i don't know how you're going to do it like but there is a lot of interest in regards to the league of ireland but it doesn't seem to attract um, a lot of neutral fans, and I think the people that go to the games um, are the regulars, and they're the League of Ireland fans. It's trying to get the rest of them in, and whether it is trying to create an atmosphere that's similar to rugby, where um, you might get neutral fans going because it's more of an event and um, sort of like more of a social gathering as well. Um, as you're saying, there in industry, I think if you speak to anyone in the UK and Especially, especially football minded, you said three o'clock on a Saturday. Everybody knows that's kickoff time for all professional football and up and down the country. But I suppose if you mentioned to most people here in Ireland saying half seven on a Friday, um, League of Ireland wouldn't be the first thing that comes to their mind. And that's sort of an area where we have to try and build. And I think um, the governance uh, in regards to the FEI certainly have a part to play in that. But so do every uh, individual club in the country. And um, Social media is, is a huge platform now for clubs to reach out to, to people and you see a lot of good work being done by the clubs and it's just has to be developed and brought on and obviously with the PFI have the players union there and they've got support which is a very good uh, outlet for them and it's good now that the um, Hendo has been involved in setting up the support for the managers and coaches that uh, sort of wasn't there previously and um, it's, it's, it's a really good thing and we're going to benefit from it and Hopefully, collectively, uh, from everyone within the football and community in Ireland, we can uh, work together and develop and bring a better product to the table. And going forward for years to come, as you said there, it might uh, create more opportunities for uh, full-time situ- uh, positions, should I say, um, throughout the country for more more people. Great stuff. That's the voice of the Drada manager, Tim Clancy. Tim, thanks a million for your time. I know you were working all night and you've got stuff on this afternoon. So thanks for jumping on the call. Good luck on Sunday and we'll see you soon. Cheers, Jay. Appreciate that. Thanks.
So you're watching and listening to On The Bench, the official podcast of the League Managers and Coaches Association of Ireland. And I'm very happy to welcome the manager of the DLR Waves, Graham Kelly, back to the show again. Well, not back to the show because he's been on loads of my shows before, but of course, it's his first time on this one. So, Graham, hello. How are you again? Great, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a million for coming on. And of course, Graham, get ready for the restart or the kickoff, should I say, of the Women's National League next weekend, the weekend of the 8th and 9th of August. So all systems go, Graham. You've been in the middle of a, a second pre-season as such. And ready for the girls to get into action next weekend? Yeah, looking forward to it now. Um, tough, tough game, obviously, away to go. We push game up, but look, there is no easy games, as, as we know, at this level. So just looking forward to getting back in. You know, the first pre-season was done, and then obviously the pandemic hit in. So it was a couple of Zoom sessions and what have you, and then to get back on the pitch is just great. How would you describe the last few months for you as the manager trying to manage the group? in a time as well when there was so much doubt about dates and if the seasons would even start at all? Yeah, look, it was difficult at the start, but lucky enough, you know, I have John Sullivan there with me. So him being a personal trainer was was a great benefit to the girls because obviously the home workouts were brilliant, you know, and, and then having Dara to do the individual sessions with the girls. Like, so we were giving them individual football plans as well as the Zoom home workouts and then they were getting workouts to do themselves as well. So I was lucky, again, with the staff we have, we're quite, we're quite lucky, you know. And how did you guys kind of make your choices on how to design the second preseason, given the girls had done nearly a full preseason and also had done their Zooms and their running and, as you said, their individual football programmes across yeah. the lockdown? Yeah, so it was probably a bit of a reduced preseason because they, they had kept themselves quite fit, the girls, in fairness to them. Um, and when they come back then, it's just really getting them back used to being on the pitch, you know, getting the touch of the ball because obviously with the lockdown, you know, people were, were, you know, can't go out, can't be with their friends and what have you. So it was more ball work, really, for the, the second part of pre-season. Um, and, and just getting games into them and keep trying to get minutes into their legs, which is probably the important thing now at this stage. And I'm sure now it's kind of week minus one from the restart and everybody's just so excited, the managers, the coaching staff and the players to, to get things going next weekend. Yeah, definitely. You know, everyone just wants to wants to get back out now and play. Played a couple of preseason friendlies, which is great. We're training last night, and obviously now all the preparation is for Galway next Saturday, and I'm just really looking forward to it. Yeah, like it's been, I suppose, from the point of view of being a football manager, the last few months has been something that nobody has ever had to think about before. You've always had, you knew when the previous season finished, you knew when the next season started, you knew how long people were getting off, you knew basically all of that. And it's been so turned upside down over the last while. How have you found all of that and, and being the person in charge of trying to manage all of those bits? Yeah, it, it, look, it's been it's been difficult. It's been, you know, in one way, probably being in, in isolation or such or in lockdown, you have a lot more time to do it, you know, working from home as well with, with my own job, with both phones. So it just gives you that bit more time and a bit more freedom to plan things. And, and we were sort of planning for the whole club. It wasn't just the first team. So we were touching base with UE, the 17s manager, the two lads involved with the 16s, and just making sure everybody's okay, you know, because it's it's not even the fact of the football, but, you know, there's obviously a mental health side of it as well. And you just want to check in and everyone and make sure they're keeping okay during the lockdown. Yeah, and the use of things like Zoom and all of these things that, again, and it's great that we have access to these things as, as coaches. I was the same with the Pats 19s and even we did some with the lads from the college, even though they were off. We just did a couple of quizzes and stuff just to keep them at least involved with each other in some way. So given the way technology is now and, and we know how much it helps with, you know, simple things like the players having GPS and video stuff. But we've never had to use things like Zoom before. And I even know this week some of the premier teams in the men's league have been doing their 
pre-match uh, video analysis via Zoom because they're not allowed to have the players inside to actually have a team meeting. Yeah, it's, it's funny we've done the same. Um, and, and the Zoom workouts is something that we'll continue to do because it's like a recovery session. So you don't have to bring the girls into a gym. You know, they can they can do it from home. And we actually do them on a Monday night because we, we played last weekend. So we've done a bit of video analysis at the start of the Zoom. Um, and it's been, it's been brilliant. It's something different that, as you say, we probably never thought about before, but now we all have to adapt. And I think everyone has. Yeah, the fixtures next weekend. It's and of course there's a couple of new teams in the women's national league for the first time. So nine clubs. It's Shells against Cork City at Talca Park. Galway are playing against the DLR Waves Grains team. Is that still the name of DC Park, Graham? It is indeed. Yeah. It is very good. And then we've got a P Mount against Treaty United. We've got Wexford Utes against Bohemians, and at Lone Town are idle this weekend because there's or next weekend because there's there's nine teams. For you, Graham, you've been in the job a little while now, and you've you know, really got your feet under the table as a women's national league manager, having your previous job being as the manager of Bray Wanderers in the men's league. And, you know, a lot of your work across your career up to this point would have been in the men's game. How have you found that change and what are the main differences? Yeah, there's a lot of differences, obviously, you know, um, you're dealing with players who are all amateurs and they actually pay money to play, which again, I just think is totally wrong. Um, Players from all the clubs, um, I'm not sure if every club charges, but I know, 80% 80% of the clubs have to charge membership because they have to survive, you know, and, and that's obviously, you know, that's something that needs to be looked at going forward, um, but but it's definitely something that is wrong and the girls shouldn't have to pay, but, you know, the change from men's to women, yeah, definitely last year was a learning curve for me, massive learning curve, you know, just trying to get used to the, the women's game, trying to get to know your opposition, um, trying to get to know players in the league, so when you're trying to recruit, you're trying to bring in new players that you think will fit into your system and, and your style of play, um, and I think we've done that. We're, we're quite a young squad, um, which is good. But like, we have a really good group. You know, we were really they, they have a great bond between them all. Um, they're, they're like all friends and fairness of them all. And uh, yeah, look, I'm just looking forward to it now, Jamie. Yeah, that's something I didn't know that at senior women's national league level that the players had to actually pay, and that yeah. is quite shocking for me to hear that because I, I just didn't know that. And you know, you hear at certain clubs even as you know under 19 and under 17 and under 15 that the players don't have to pay and yes you're hearing in the women's national league the top league for women's football women's soccer in this country and, and the players are actually paying paying a membership fee just sounds ridiculous yeah uh, i was amazed when i first came into the women's game as well you know and and look you're, you're trying to bring in sponsorships you're trying to help the players get sponsors um because it's expensive you know and, and they're giving up a lot of air girls will be in college so they'd have college fees or you know some of them are still in school so they still have school fees and even the girls that are working then you, you know they're giving up work to come and play and train and yet they're still being charged and um, if one thing came good from from covid was that there will be grants coming to the clubs you know which is great you know the fbi yeah. have got grants in there which is fantastic you know, that's for this season, you know, come January next year, where are we? Are we back to square one where we're asking the girls to pay again? And it's just something that has to be looked at, you know, and it has to be looked at from the whole league together, all the clubs together on it and the FAI as well. Yeah, certainly very well said. And from your own point of view, Graeme, you're UEFA A licence and UEFA U to the A licence manager and you've just started the UEFA Pro licence over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm interested to find out, I haven't spoke to Neil Fenn earlier who completed the course and 
the end of his course had to be done via Zoom and via online. And, and the start of your course has been the same, you know, for people who, who haven't done too many coaching badges. Normally, the 20 coaches would arrive to a hotel in Dublin or Cork and you'd spend three or four days there six or seven times a year. And you do all your lectures and all your on-pitch stuff and have the, maybe a couple of points and a bit of dinner in the evening. But it's a totally changed for the start of your new course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, it, it's been through Skype and, and through Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams. Um, lots lots of presentations to start off with, um, some video analysis work. So we're probably really only getting going, uh, Jamie, but really looking forward to it. A, a good group of people on the course. and We've got our micro groups now as well. Um, we've got our individual tasks to complete and hopefully all going well. We might be meeting up in November and um, December. Uh, for everyone to come together which would be great you know for the first block but it's going to be a busy next 18 months anyway I can say that much of course um your own story through coaching and we'll talk about you know when you started doing the badges and, and how you went through that but just when when did you start to think that you wanted to become a football coach and, and a football manager and you might just give us a background as to your journey from when you started to now yeah, I, I was probably just about 15, 16 and, and just given a dig out up in Joey's with uh, Donald Forsyth. Um, he, he asked me just would I help him, you know. I know the Forsyth family really well and he just said, look, will you come in, give me a dig out. So, you know, probably like everyone, carrying water bottles, carrying cones. Then you just get a bit more into it, start enjoying it. Um, and I was probably a bit different. When I was 21, I had my first son. And, and then it was a choice, do you keep playing? I was only playing against their senior league, so it wasn't a good level. Or do I concentrate on the coaching? Uh, and I decided to just give up playing and, and concentrate on coaching. Um, and, and obviously, I spent a lot of time in Joey's, a lot of great years down there with a lot of really good people. Uh, and just learning, you know, constantly learning, going on the courses. Um, and then from there, you know, obviously going to Bray 17s initially and, and just having great experience up in, in that club as well. Um, and obviously going to 19s first team. So I've got a, a good range of experience and different levels and now in the women's game as well so it's uh yeah it's been a, a, a long path but it's an enjoyable path you know yeah it's a story that every person who started coaching i'd be the exact same when you were saying about filling the water bottles and picking up the cones yeah. and then you start to take warm-ups and then you start to you know become involved as more than just a helper as such and, and very quickly you get the bug and when you can see a session going well or a warm-up going well or something maybe a bit of information you've given to a player that it helps them in a match. You start to think this is this is a cool thing to be doing. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And look, you know, when you're starting off, you know, you think, oh, geez, there's so many badges ahead of me, or there's, there's so many courses ahead of me. But I'd highly recommend anyone to do them because, like you say, you just get that bug, and then you you start seeing things you're trying to implement in training. You start seeing coming out in games, and I think that's when you get your real joy. Or you see a player develop. There's a player at a certain level, and at the end of the season, you know, they're a better player, and and you know that's the main thing I think as a coach um, but you, look you've great memories from it you know and it's not all about winning trophies it's about being involved with great people uh, and I think that's the main thing I can take over yeah and it's interesting as well that you went from St. Joseph's boys to Bray 17s then Bray 19s then the Bray first team in the men's game and now you're over a year into your career in the women's game so in the last kind of probably four or five years you, you've had a really good taste of all of the levels of, of football in this country as a coach and as a manager, which I'm sure can only make you better, but also test you in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Like I was lucky enough that when the 17s league only started, it was actually Trevor Crowley and Bray at the time. 
Um, and I, I went up there with the 17s and then that just progressed to, to working with the 19s and then obviously we're Harry and Liam with the first team and then on to Dave and Jay and uh, Martin Russell then for a while so I've been lucky I've worked with some you know really fast experienced people and you know really good people that I've got to learn from and, and you know that's only good for you and even now coming into the women's game uh, it's good because I can bring the likes of John Sullivan with me who, who's on his coaching path, Dara O'Reilly who's on his coaching path. We have a young girl, Ayf Hall, who's just doing a B license, really eager coach that wants to learn. Uh, a goalkeeper coach, Tinzo, is just on his B license. So really good staff, but they all want to learn. And, and if I could give them any advice, then that's my job, you know. And look, I learn from them. Hopefully they learn something from me as well. So that's your pathway through the elite game and the first under-17 season was in the summer of 2015. So you're in around five years in, in the elite game now as, as a manager. Tell me about your path through the coaching badges. When did you start them? And I'm not looking for exact dates because I know everybody's yeah. kind of, I, I think it was 2009 or it might have been 2010, yeah. but just, you know, the badge you yeah. started on and your progress through now to clearly just starting off with the pro license. Oh, I would have, would have started right at the, at the level one as it would have been then, Jamie, going back to when I was probably 18 or so, you know, um, you know, working with the likes of Aram Anthony, Gary Zambra who would have been the, the tutors on then and, and then just progressing through them up to the B licence. Um, the A licence was actually in 2013 and then obviously the away for ALE last year. It was finished it last year, you know, that went on for a year as well. Um, but again, really good courses, lots of information on them. Um, the tutors in the FAI are brilliant, you know, really great help they, they were last year as well. Loads of advice from them on, on the UEFA ALE and even now, like Jay Donahue is my tutor on the, the pro license. Good chat with Jay the other day. So looking forward to working with again the likes of Jay on, on this course. And also lots of people on the courses, you know, they speak not just about, you know, the ability of the course content itself and, you know, the places that you go to visit and the tutors, but also the small talk with the other coaches on the course and the other coaches in your micro group. And I remember speaking to Jared Bryan last year and he was talking about some of the people on, on his course, which has just finished the likes of, you know, Vinnie Pert and Stephen Rice and Damien Duff and Robbie Keane and, and others. For you across the courses, and I'm sure on this course as well, and I think we did, did, did we do a course together possibly? Maybe not. You see, again, it blends into like, how many people have you done courses with? Maybe we yeah. didn't. But anyway, the point I'm making is the people you meet and the chats you have and the help you get from, from those people. And when you get to watch their presentations, maybe on the same match, it's the same yeah. match you've been given to do. And their view is totally different to yours, which is really interesting just to, to see and, and watch and listen to. Yeah, no, definitely. Even, even on the way for ALE, like going in, wouldn't have known that many people on it. Um, but by the end of it, you know, you, you have a whole new new range of friends, as you might as well say. And, and like that, we, we were touching base with each other. We were doing different presentations. You'd say, what do you think of this? And they come back and go, well, I'll take that out. What do you think of this bit? And even only this week, I was talking to Donald O'Brien and I never knew Donald. Donald's involved with Derry City. Never knew him before the UEFA Elite. And I was only talking to him last weekend and I'm with you a call this weekend just for a catch up. So the likes of that's brilliant, you know, and you just get to meet so many people in football that and really good people, which is the, the main thing, you know. Yeah. And just lastly, Graham, we're on the League Managers and Coaches Association podcast. It's called On the Bench and Stephen Henderson has worked so hard over the last while to set this up. And I know in our initial interview with Hendo a couple of months ago, he spoke about this not just being for managers and not just being for men's managers, it's for managers in the women's league, it's for coaches, it's for goalkeeping coaches, it's for video people, it's for probably kit men. And it's something that has been long overdue in this country. And I'm sure, like all the rest of us, you're very excited that, that it's happening and that we can all be together now in this association. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I remember 
heard about it probably this time last year. I think it was actually Dave Bell from Shell that got in touch with me about it. Um, and Stephen Henderson's done phenomenal work on it. But it's, it's brilliant. You know, it's brilliant that managers, coaches, uh, as you say, kit man, that, that we have a voice effectively, you know, that we have somewhere to go if we're having problems that this will now, you know, and that, not even problems, but we can just get a voice from each other. You know, like it'd be great to just pick up the phone to Stephen or Dave Henderson or whoever it is and just say, look, what do you think about this? And I think that's something that it'll only get stronger. You know, this will definitely only get stronger. I look forward to it over the next couple of years. Yeah, and that's the reason why on this podcast we're speaking to a manager from the Premier Division, a manager from the First Division and a manager from the Women's National League as well. And loads more guests to come over the coming weeks. But Graham Kelly, thanks a million for coming on. Enjoy the season restart next weekend. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you at a game soon. Brilliant, Jamie. Thanks a million. Yeah, great stuff there. On the bench, the official podcast of the League Managers and Coaches Association of Ireland. With myself, Jamie Moore, thanks very much to Graham Kelly, who you just heard before him. It was Tim Clancy. And before Tim was Neil Fenn. You can watch their interviews in full on YouTube. Just search the LMCAI YouTube page or on the bench. You can also listen, as I mentioned, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're having to get your podcasts. Folks, the Twitter page at LMCAIRland, nearly a 1,000 followers so far. We'd love to increase that. We're going to continue to upload more content as the weeks and months go on. So if you could spread the word, that would be great. Also, if you can rate the podcast, review, like, send it to like-minded people if you wouldn't mind. We will get the... League Managers and a Coaches Association into people's minds and into their lives. So enjoy the weekend, folks, the start of the League of Ireland. Um, and we'll chat to you in a couple of weeks' time for the next episode. See you. Bye-bye.